Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the NestorProds.com comic book podcast. Remember this fucking show? We used to do this show. <laughs> Ugh. I'm dead. Got Birdie here. <laughs> Very nice. Sorry. And Sergeant Bird reporting, sir. Yep. And sorry we haven't done the show in a minute. Uh, just kind of all at once. It was like, all right, someone, all right, one of us got sick. Oh, the one of us is going out looking for a job. Then schoolwork. Then just keep, keep like, fucking up schedulings or just forgetting them or sleeping through them or some kind of shit. Just fucking Murphy's Law happened all around every show that wasn't the movies podcast, apparently. Yeah, because Caveman's schedule is nice and stable. Mine's not. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, we're going to be hopefully, I'm going to be hopefully getting that all sorted out within this next grouping of shows. But yes, we're back. We're here to talk about comics. Um, we're going to be doing a bit different uh, than usual with a two-man show. Uh, not like The Injustice Different, which I think was our last show we did. Uh, what crap? Was that the last comics podcast we did? I think so. I, I don't I don't know. <laughs> Watching Titans has killed my sense of time. Yeah, space is warped and time is fuckable. Anyway. Uh, yeah, so we are here to talk about comics. Uh, usually with the two of us, we would write up our lists. Each of us would pick two from a list. We're talking about eight comics total. This week... Shorten that down to about shorten that down to four comics. So we each picked one from our li- from each of our lists. So we're gonna talk about four comics, just allergies, general horrid mind problems. <laughs> we need to have a we want we want to like ease back into this before getting into the big shit, which is why we're also not gonna be talking about the um, updates to Doomsday Clock or to Heroes in Crisis, because hey, guess what? In my fucking Quest to get back on track. I have now reached 2019 comics. Hey. I, I am now into this year. So hopefully by next time I'll be actually caught up. And then we're probably and then we're also gonna be saving Doomsday Clock and uh, and Heroes in Crisis for a bigger show uh, when Nico is available after they're both done, so we can actually do a full deep dive into all that shit. Yeah. But for now, we're going to be talking about regular comics. With one exception, just for the fun of it. You want to do that one up front or just save that for life? For yeah, sure. Let's, let's get that out of the way up front. Unless, you wanna, right unless you're afraid that it's going to be boring afterwards. No, nah, it's cool. I got, we got shit to talk about. I got, I got two comics I'm interested in to talk about. All right. Ugh. So, uh, it's come up before on the show that I'm a fan of Gen 13. Yep. And I'm constantly annoyed at DC that they're re-releasing every Wildstorm comic from that period except Gen 13. <laughs> so they're doing it to fuck with you specifically. Yeah, it feels like it. But uh, what most people probably don't remember is that at the height of uh, its popularity, I guess you would say, um, they made a Direct-to-video Gen 13 movie. (laughs) (laughs) I I think I knew that. It sounds familiar. Like, it was a... It was animated, right? Yeah, it was animated. 
Yeah, I remember, I remember seeing Warner some, Brothers Animation Studio. Yeah, I remember seeing some slightly seizure-inducing animation featuring grunge. Yeah. Produced by Paramount, but created by Warner Brothers Animation. And featuring um, Mark Hamill as both hero and villain, as the brother of Caitlin Fairchild. Okay. <laughs> Threshold. But... Um, Oh boy, this thing is weird. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so (sighs) there are actual voice actors on this, like I said, because Mark Hamill, but also like Corey Burton, but they're all mostly in minor roles. Yeah. All the major roles are people that uh, haven't done much with their their careers, as far as I can tell, or have, (laughs) have careers that are not associated with um acting <laughs> <laughs> like uh well you mentioned grunge and so i i guess someone thought it would be cute to have grunge played by flea okay i can kind of see that flea is i think an actor kind of Kinda. <laughs> like, he's been in movies. He has been not bad in multiple movies. Yeah, but I feel like the director of this probably told him, look, this character's called Grunge. Play this how you think, like, your friends in Red Hot Chili Peppers would play it. It would Which... be hilarious if he played him exactly like that fucking insane, like, animal boy he did on Wild Thornberries. Yeah. Just Grunge yeah. walks in. <laughs> Yeah, just, I don't know. <laughs> but, um, th- there's some roles that I, I kind of like Cloris Leachman as evil German schoolmarm, but, uh, that's a whole other thing. Uh, <laughs> the weirdest one for me is, uh, I would not have cast. The guy who plays Q on Star Trek The Next Generation to essentially play pre-Samuel L. Jackson Nick Fury. John DeLancey? Yeah. Oh. As a humorless war vet who's seen the world and has seen too much and is just trying to protect these kids. Instantly flashback to Mariachi outfit on the on the fucking whatever the fucking main deck is the Enterprise yeah Mm -hmm. yeah that guy's seen some shit yeah and I guess uh, the woman playing uh, uh, Roxy is the only one who kind of fits in that she played uh, the pissed off member of the Powerpuff Girls was that uh, Buttercup. Buttercup yeah which kind of fits with the the punk aesthetic thing they were going with with Roxy in the original comic yeah um but Christ the woman playing uh Caitlin Fairchild is the worst <laughs> and she is 
And with, as a sign of that, I looked up her IMDb, and all the movies she's most well known for are movies I don't remember her being in. Outstanding. Like, you might remember her. Apparently she was on that Fox Exorcist TV show. Okay. Someone named Nicole. I watched an episode of that show. Okay, I don't, I don't know. I was just asking. Yeah, the only thing I remember about that show is Gina Davis. Okay, fair enough. I mean, the rest of this isn't going to help. It's like, oh, she was on an episode of Supernatural. Like, that narrows it down. <laughs> yeah, what season? <laughs> season one or season 15? Somewhere in the middle of that. Oh, God. <laughs> well, hey, that show's finally dead. Yep. And so is Arrow. Mm-hmm. Things Christmas are correcting themselves. Come. Yeah. Hopefully the next fucking big whatever stupid crossover yeah. sent around the fucking Legends team. Yeah. Appa- apparently the role she's most known for is she played uh, the little girl with the grown man voice in uh, David Lynch's Dune. <laughs> <laughs> that's a credit okay I mean she can say unironically hey I was in the David Lynch movie yeah mm-hmm. so can Sting yeah and to some people the fact that it's Dune might actually be a bonus there's gotta be at least yeah, like four people who like really love Dune more than anything else you may have made maybe it's like I Twin Peaks know. that's fine it's no Dune yeah Oh, Mulholland Drive? Yeah, yeah, that, that, that's a pretty good movie. But you know what it doesn't have? Fucking sandworms, bitch. Yeah, it's funny. Looking at the IMDb page for the Gen 13 movie, it says more like this. It just lists DC animated movies. All, and I'm trying to figure out if any of them are ones I would not watch before this. I would not I would not watch before I watched this again. <laughs> just because I mean, I own it. It's hard to own. It was never it it was released very limitedly in 2000 on video and it, then it just disappeared I, I'm one of those hipsters who had to buy a a bootlegged blu-ray at a con noise but okay the weird thing about the animation of this it, and adding to the grunge thing like not like the style not the character uh the animators, the animation director who worked on this primarily is known for two things. DC animated movies and Pearl Jam videos. And I feel like the producers for this were looking at what he wanted to do and said, look, we don't want this to look exactly like a DC movie since this is Wildstorm. So kind of bring some of that animated punk music video thing to this. Yeah, and the like, like that famous it, punk band, Pearl Jam. <laughs> so, <laughs> I, I, I should have said grunge, but it's the same. It, it result it brings to the same thing, basically. Like, the animation is mostly fluid, but it's cheaper than Warner Brothers animation at this time. And you see some of the style that you remember from, like, Superman, the animated series, or Batman. It's just not used as well. Yeah. Like, there's a kind of cool chase scene where... Uh, um, Caitlin Fairchild's being attacked by two jets and she's outrunning them on foot. Yeah, as she does. Yeah. But uh, the problem with it is that the animation is so cheap, it, it turns into like a Hanna-Barbera thing where you see the background start to 
uh, repeat over and over again. And because they just chase her and don't shoot at her, it looks like she's just kind of running in place. Nice. And boy, um, you remember Ben 10? Yep. That was a really good show that yeah. fell to shit almost immediately after se- after the yeah. original series. Yeah, but like one of the original, like, when Grunge uses his powers, it kind of looks like Kevin 11. Okay. Yeah, I'm getting, I'm seeing the visual. Yeah. And Roxy, it's like, the, the, the music video thing doesn't really work for Roxy's telekinetic powers thing, so she just kind of looks like she's awkwardly floating. It's like a YouTube, it's like a YouTube video where the guy has like some kind of thing in the background as a visual gag of just like, all right, so I'm just gonna keyframe this across the screen. Yeah, kinda. Particularly <laughs> when she tries to use her like her telekinetic powers against people, like when she gets into a psychic fight with Mark Hamill. I'm just gonna call him Mark Hamill. But <laughs> yeah, it's fine. Uh, and. Okay, so I get I, I've talked so long about like the weird animation decisions and the voice acting. I forgot to I guess mention the plot. I guess that probably matters. Well, uh, I mean, we've been in this comic podcast for 13, 12 minutes now, and we haven't talked about a comic book yet. <laughs> yeah. And uh, okay, so we already started an hour late, and I got things to do tonight, man. Yeah. Okay, I'm sorry. Uh, so. Caitlin's dad was what's called Gen 12. For those who don't know the Gen 13 comics, each gen is a generation of uh, individuals who built up superhuman abilities, I guess. It's kind of vague whether it's it's mutant or... Yeah, like... uh, Wasn't Caitlin's dad like part of Team 7? Yeah, he he was part of Team 7 alongside the character John Delancey plays. Yep. Which is... uh, And Grifter? Yeah, yeah, Grifter was in there for some reason. He wasn't in this movie, but he was yeah, in there. He was just he was there. Yeah. <laughs> with his was fucking him. With his I don't psychic powers that let him see aliens <laughs> so we can shoot him. Okay, I don't want to go off on a why does Grifter exist thing because that would take forever. <laughs> <laughs> but uh so yeah, um at some point in after Caitlin and her brother Matthew are born. Uh, his their, his dad tries to run away from the people he worked with over at IO, I think is the, what this company's called. They hunt him down in their generic black stormtrooper outfits. And yeah, he uses naturally. his... Yeah, and he, he... He saves his baby by tossing her into the river. Yeah, it worked for Moses. <laughs> and luckily... Uh, the Caitlin is saved by uh, John Delancey, Colonel Jack Lynch, with his uh, one-eyed "I hate you and your I.O. ways." <sighs> yeah. Uh, cut to eighteen years later, and she's a bored, super smart high school student who is approached by I.O. in through the disguise of a student advancement program to be brought to a military engineering thing where she meets Roxy and Grunge and Helga. The evil German Nazi who is also the school mom. Yeah. She will put you in shape by making you do extreme games. Yeah. And after like 
five minutes of awkward uh, grunge music montage. Uh, Io just randomly gives them all a disease, a, a treatment to make them manifest their abilities, and it's just that Caitlin manifests them first, which causes her to wake up and go wandering around, not sure where she is, until someone unlocks the door to the base that has keeps all of Io's incriminating evidence on an easily opened computer. I keep sarcastically saying naturally, and I'm just going to be I'm fucking burning myself out on it. <laughs> At which point, Roxy and Grunge just show up, and the they attack. The, they get attacked by stormtroopers. Caitlin hulks out partially. It kicks their asses. There's some nudity in it because this was not released on television. Yeah, so this was they the didn't 90s, have, bruh. So they didn't have the same content restrictions, but it's still kind of stupid. Yeah, they. <laughs> They want to get that. They want to get that sick fucking spawn crowd. Yeah. Uh, after that, uh, as rocks after Caitlin uh, accidentally finds her iconic outfit in a locker. Because sure. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> uh, there's more fighting. Then Grunge starts to manifest his powers, and they're being attacked by the villain uh, Ivana. Bayul. Uh, I I don't know. It, did you ever watch The Nanny? Uh, I'll take that as a no. Never mind. <laughs> oh, wait, no. That's that's the Fran Drescher one, right? Yeah. I, I didn't watch it. I know about it. Yeah, fair enough. But uh, the villain, the, vo- the voice act, the actress who plays the villain uh, was the stuck up bitch on that show. But that don't, that doesn't mean much to you. So <laughs> yeah, unless it's Fran Drescher, I don't really know who they are. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, so this when the villain attacks with her cyber arm with uh, extendo spikes, <laughs> uh, the, the team is split up because there's too many enemies, and uh, Caitlin is chased outside by tanks that she outruns and then hits with a with a mountain. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Eventually, Helga jumps into a giant mech suit until Caitlyn jumps on the mech's chest and punches through the mech to knock her off, And at which point she dies from the impact of falling off a mountain in a mech. We're coming up on 20 minutes. I still know comics. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, shit more shit blows up. Uh, Caitlyn Masterfowers, they, they do the... Uh, it's kind of funny to have Mark Hamill... In his Joker voice, go, I am your brother. <laughs> the guy is smart camera stairs. And yeah, the guy guy was his dad. Uh villains are briefly defeated. Uh John Delancey explains the plot of the comic, cut to credits. <laughs> it was a it was a weird sixty minutes. <laughs> Would it have been weirder if they continued on to the new Gen 13, where Caitlyn is made of goop. Because remember uh, that bit? They made, it, no. they made a new Gen 13 team? I don't remember that. Yeah, they made a Idiot. new Gen 13 team where the new Caitlyn was this woman named, was a girl named Janelle in high school who then became Caitlyn Build, but also had telepathy. Okay. And grifter powers. <laughs> and then Caitlyn was just a purple blob who turned into herself. 
Okay. <laughs> Gen 13 got bad. Yeah. Mostly once I think um, Jim Lee and uh, what's the danger girl guy's name? J. Scott um, Campbell? Yeah, J. Scott Campbell. Once they left, I think uh, at least in terms of the 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 Wildstorm era comics, they got pretty bad. Uh, once Gail Simone was writing it over at DC, it was okay. But I think that also got bad just because it was getting to the point where DC was getting bad also. Yep. It, it, it stopped running right at New 52. And now Gen 13 is dead. Yep. Uh, I, I, I would kill for some Gen 13 rather than more DC Titans. <laughs> uh, I mean, they still technically have the rights, right? Yeah, well, that's the thing. Like I said, DC. it's up to DC whether or not they want to release... The Wildstorm collections of new of Gen thirteen, even the, even though they're currently celebrating some kind of Wildstorm anniversary this year or last year, and they're just not doing it. Are you ready for the Wildstorm, baby? We got all your favorite teams. We got the Authority, and that's it. But yeah, the kids uh, like Grifter, it, right? For a weird product of its time that only cost me five bucks it was kind of fun i i just out of curiosity just, how was the transfer from no it looked whatever it was to blu-ray um like was it like a vhs to blu-ray transfer or like was it like a real thing no it was a real thing it didn't it didn't have the like artifacting that comes from like they took a dvd and a blu-ray and like manufactured it from a VHS tape. They didn't do that. It looks like they did upscale it. So it looks fine. It probably looks as good as it's going to look, which is not saying much, but it's the bigger problem I think is kind of the the voice acting because it sounds like a lot of it was recorded through a tunnel. <laughs> and there's only was. so much you can do only so much you can do to fix that. It was like, all right, all right, so we got we got the budget for this. We got all the actors. We got all this. All right, where's the studio to record them? Uh I got a cardboard tube with a sock in it. We'll make it work. Fuck it. But yeah, uh, it's fine. I might bring it up with me to Deadman if I ever see him in Canada. Cool. See what he thinks. All right, then. All right, now on to proper comics. Sorry that took so long. <laughs> it's real comics now, motherfucker. Uh, so I guess... Well. Well, I just talked, so you should go first. All right, then. Uh, so, speaking of the next generation of heroes or whatever, let's, oh, talk, no. about, let's talk about Naomi. Oh, okay. This, I, is this Wonder Comics? Yes, this is one of the this is one of Bendis's Wonder Comic imprint titles. Okay. Along with like this Young Justice, um, Wonder Twins, Dial H for Hero. That that that, that I can't fucking wait to get to because I goddamn love Dial H. Yeah. I keep thinking, would that make a good anthology superhero show? But I keep thinking, no, it's too weird. <laughs> it's too good, is what it is. It's a fantastic concept that people who make TV shows nowadays would not have the actual fucking creativity to be able to run that show properly. Anyway, uh, so, Naomi. In this small town in buttfuck Oregon, Superman showed up, fighting Mongol. 
Yeah, is this the book that started with everyone saying nothing interesting happens here except that one time? Yes. Okay. Yeah, it starts out like with a talking head style thing of just, like it's, I think it's like a four by four grid of faces with the last one being Naomi, our protagonist. Yeah, and so, right. yeah, and so she's, yeah, and so uh, they're, they're all like walking around talking, like, like talking about what just happened. Like, holy shit, that was fucking insane, dude. And 90, like 85% of this book is Naomi talking to her friends. Okay, well, it is a Bendis book, and he does love his dialogue. Yeah, and this and this issue especially, the first issue, just going into it, is all set up. This is all just building up to this idea that something weird is going on in this town, and Naomi is involved in it. So she, like, talks to her friends, talking about, like, oh, hey, Superman's fucking cool as hell, this, that, blah. Uh, and, then she, uh, and then she goes and talks to her therapist, because she's a therapist. And because that's a typical way for writers to say that they're hip with the kids now. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, just basically talking about, you know, like her life, how she is handling Superman coming to town um, and how she might have a quote unquote Superman complex, which is a apparently a thing here that, that th- that's like like psychiatrists are are trained on, I guess. Oh God! Is this going to be glass all over again? It is. It is not from what I from what I've seen so far. Okay. Um. Yeah. Like, like Superman. Like Superman complex is just. It's just. Hey, I want to be Superman. Uh. But. Oh, specifically Superman, because glass was all about. Oh, you are delusional because you think you are a superhero. Yeah. No. This isn't it. This is. This is Superman is a thing, and people want to be him, but because they aren't him, that causes psychological. That causes psychological anxiety and stuff because they aren't living up to the literal embodiment of perfection that is Superman. Yeah. Now, if she was in the Injustice universe, she'd be a little easier to keep, to meet that standard. Yeah, it's like, oh, you got Superman syndrome. You're going to fucking jail, kid. Anyway, yeah, uh, and this, and it also talks a bit about how she was adopted. And. Instead of being, hey, I want to be Superman, it's more of a thing of she feels this weird, like her psychiatrist thinks that she feels this weird connection to Superman because both of them were adopted. Okay, fair enough. Which, I guess, just for point of reference, I'm adopted. So I get a bit weird when people talk about adoption stuff. Because it, it's usually not done well, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, not really. And... More often than not, they have these like weird people have these weird like misconcept like like conceptions about adoption. And the thing that bugs me the most is whenever people say, "Say like, oh, who are your real parents?" Like just just to anybody out there who has ever said that, go fuck yourself. Okay, yeah. As a sign of that, um, going back to the injustice example, uh, there's a reason. Batman always called Superman Clark, while Wonder Woman in Injustice always called him Kal-El, because she just wanted him to embody what she thought he was supposed to be, whereas Bruce wanted him to be who he was. Yeah, like, Clark Kent is Clark Kent first and foremost. His real parents are Jonathan and Martha Kent. Yeah, fuck, yeah, yeah, he has fucking, like... 
His dad's head he has in a biological fucking... parents, but yeah, exactly. He like his dad's head is like his biological dad's head is in a fucking crystal somewhere, or whatever. And he feels yeah, his, and... his biological dad shot him into space. So yeah, he feels a connection to them, but they're but they don't feel the same family to him as his parents do. Ah, yeah. Uh, so. As this as this happens, uh, she's all like she's spent this uh, so Naomi spent this entire time also specifically trying to find any mention of what just happened in their town on the internet, like checking Twitter, checking Google, checking news feeds and stuff, just searching Superman Oregon, and getting nothing. Well, Which, that in and of itself is weird because even ignoring yes. their specific example, I'm pretty sure Superman's been to Oregon at some point. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's weird as hell. And she catches up, catches on to that. And so she starts actually going around and asking people, has anything like this happened before? And all of them are either evasive or just straight up say no. Until she goes and talks to one guy, this fucking massive like mechanic type guy who who I believe his name is D. She asks him and he just like kind of gives the cold shoulder. As she goes to leave, he then pipes up March 14th, 17 years ago. Something like this happened. At which, at which point she is just like, boom. Oh, that's the day I was adopted. At which point he says, it was me, Dio. Yeah, it was I, <laughs> Dio. <laughs> yeah, that's basically okay. the first issue. Okay. Yeah. Sounds, so, like, uh, sounds like one of Bendis's telling a mystery story in a superhero universe things. He tends to do well. Yeah, and this, and it's it's good so far. Like I am intrigued, uh, Naomi. Um, we don't. I don't have like a super good grip on who she is as a character yet, but yeah. I am liking her. I am liking like the you know the just the standard go getter drive of a fucking like teenage protagonist in a fucking mystery story. She kind of looks like Moon Girl. A bit, like maybe age up Moon Girl a bit. Yeah, same structure. But I mean, I like how the comic looks. Oh yeah, the, the, the art is the best. The art is the best thing about the comic. Um, art was done by. Let me just pull up their name here, so I can give yeah, them proper. Can... So I can give them proper fucking props. Uh, yes, yeah, so it was drawn by a uh, Jamal Campbell. Uh, with a uh, coloring from looks of it, also by Jamal Campbell. Because I cannot see any listing of a color, a colorist. So. Just fucking, I guess it's just him. But yeah, uh, he he does, he does a really good job with this, um, with a lot of like very, a lot of very well drawn backgrounds um, that, that I actually, I've been again, I've been paying more and more attention to backgrounds recently. Yeah, it's kind of it, it. It you reward it when it's done well. Yeah, and this is actually done pretty well. Like yeah, the talking heads, like the talking head stuff is all just done in like a gradient background. Uh, but for but for pretty much everything else. There is a like for real background happening, or the, or the very least a background that is shaded to match the environment that they're actually in, which is nice. Uh, the character designs uh, are character designs are all are like unique and interesting. Um, I like the basic Naomi design of like the dreadlocks with like the like the golden clasps in them and this weird like pseudo leather half jacket kind of thing. Okay. And yeah, it's it's a good start to a series. It's just a matter of 
not a whole lot actually happens in the first issue. Oh, sure. Yeah, that's a common problem. <laughs> yeah, it's the inciting incident and then nothing, 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 nothing. Info. It's stop. So I could have used like a bit of gas in this. Just something to Some, Something to hit the, hit, hit the ground running a little bit. Because uh, that usually doesn't happen in Bendis' mystery stories. He'll spit like... <sighs> Sorry. <laughs> Birdie's dying from pollen. Yeah. Um, like, the first issue of Powers is what I would think of. Like, the inciting incident of the death of this well-known superheroine is about all that happens. Other than that, it's just the two main characters talking to each other. And Bendis kind of likes to pace his mystery stories like that, so it might take a little while for anything to happen. Yeah, and I don't even mean... And when I say, like, getting some gas, I don't even mean, like, fucking just... All right, this happens, and then boom, think about the mystery, then like back into the Just something that is a bit more, like something about her family, something that actually is more of a driving force than things feel weird here. Like that, that in and of itself is not terrible. It's just not a super engaging thing to like really grasp onto. Yeah, I understand. But as of right now, I'm interested to see where this goes. I, I'm i liking the art. Jamal Campbell is a really good artist who I haven't really seen any work of before, I don't think. Uh, Bendis is writing this with uh, David F. Walker, I believe. Okay. He has a co-writing deal on this. so Yeah, David F. Walker. Uh, that actually gives me a little bit more hope because I feel like if Bendis works with other people, his worst instincts are reined in. Yeah, this is still very much a Bendis story where it is dialogue for days. Yeah. Where, where like a lot of the fucking things are like two page spreads of like these very long strips that are at least a third dialogue. Yeah. On top of the artwork. Uh, but yeah, I'm liking this. I am digging this so far. Uh, I am really interested to see when things actually start popping off and where they go from here. So, yeah, I'm going to keep reading this. <coughs> I think this might be the first Bendis story that I've read, aside from Young Justice, because I also read that before I read this, where I'm just like, okay, yeah, I'm, yeah, I'll, I am in for the long haul with this, because everything else Bendis I've read, I've read like two issues and gone, yeah, okay. Like, Bendis hasn't really done anything for real at DC yet. That's really been like a Spider-Man style moment for me of just like, Oh, okay. This is what you're doing. Yeah. Nothing to the level of alias or, uh, or like, or Marius Morales. Yeah. Nothing like that. Nothing to really grab you by the fucking haunches and go, okay, this is the fucking book. I'm book. I'm writing bitch. Yeah. We'll see where this goes. So then your first book then. All right. So, while I'm still of the opinion that Al Ewing's Immortal Hulk series starts off really bad and really, really bad. bland, it got weird. <laughs> <laughs> Basically, after. Okay, so the last thing I remember talking about the last time I talked about this series, it was when. Bruce Banner as Devil Hulk 
fought uh, the the new rendition of the Avengers, which featured Jen Jennifer Walters, She Hulk in it, or Hulk as she's now calling herself, because you know Jennifer Walters, the She Hulk, and Bruce Banner, the Hulk, are basically the same person. Nothing weird about that, but. Up to that point, I felt like all of the series was pretty standard. Like, it was trying to be horrific, but it wasn't really selling the horror. Uh, the story ideas weren't all that interesting so far. Uh, it was trying to play into a Jekyll and Hyde idea that it wasn't really committing to. And it just feel, it just felt flat. For, not, for lack of a better term, it just felt flat. Ugh. And and then it happened. Then it did the thing that I wanted it to to. It did the thing I wanted it to do to hook me. It found an identity, and that identity was batshit insanity. <laughs> because so when Thor in the in the fight with the Avengers, when Thor said "Devil Hulk," I thought he was just kind of exaggerating, like. Oh, I I am a mythical being, you know, realm of man and science. I view everything as gods and monsters, and the Hulk is the closest thing humanity has come to creating its own version of the devil. Bitch. But <laughs> there are so many other was, devils that humanity has made. I'm aware. I'm aware. But that was the the lie, and that was also. But that was. My po- my point was when I first read that issue, I thought that that was just dumb over exaggeration of a storyline. I didn't know they were going to go with a storyline where basically the creation of the Hulk was because the gamma bomb accident led to, uh cracked open a dimension filled with gamma energy that is some equivalent of what humanity would call hell. So it's the Cenobites. The Hulk it is Hellraiser? Feel, it kind of feels that way because... Okay, so after the Hulk is captured by having by the Avengers um, hitting him with a hard sunlight laser... You know. Uh, a can't can't use scient- that soft sunlight laser. You gotta go with the yeah. hard stuff. An evil scientist working for uh, Thunderbolt Ross dissects the Hulk into little pieces to study him. And throughout this whole issue, uh, Carol Danvers, acting more like Carol Danvers than I've I've been used to seeing her for a while, uh, is immediately more than a little uh, anxious about the fact that she just used the Avengers to help capture the Hulk, and immediately after she turned over the Hulk to the proper authorities, no one could tell her where the Hulk was. Is this the issue where the Hulk eats a guy with his body coming together? Yeah. Uh, so that's the, at the end. So since Carol doesn't want to have a direct fight, since she's working with the Canadian government, with the American government, <laughs> she basically just puts out a press conference saying the Hulk is missing. What does the government know? And enough people are afraid of what the Hulk is that they don't like the idea of the government hiding the Hulk. So um, I forgot that Carol is working with the Canadians. Yep. I completely forgot that... Alpha Flight? <laughs> yeah, I completely forgot she was involved in Alpha Flight. Just Civil War II happened, and my knowledge of Carol Danvers stopped after, like, pretty much, like, I cut it off 
for some weird reason, around the time she was traveling around space with the teleporting musician she was friends with. Yeah. Just I got to that, and then just blank. Yeah. But anyway, because of this pressure, uh, the, sci- uh, the, the evil generals that the evil scientist is working for force him to try to move the pieces of the Hulk somewhere else to, like, outside of U.S. soil so that it, it will be what more difficult to prosecute if this eh. kind of step. <laughs> Fucking dumbass. And in a bit of supreme stupidity, uh, the guy literally says out loud, we have been prodding you, slicing you, stabbing you, figuring out everything that you are capable of. We now know everything that you can do. And now you do too. Fuck. (laughs) At which point the Hulk snaps his fingers using his disconnected hand to shatter all of the glass in the room and his body reassembles around the guy and he Absorbs him. Is absorbed, yeah. Is it absorbed or is it eaten? Like, what? Uh, It looks like if John Carpenter's The Thing swallowed someone. And his his body doesn't solidify until he's finished eating the guy. uh, Absorbing the guy. So it's up to you to... Yeah, I... You occasionally send me images of this, and I keep forgetting how much body horror there is in this Hulk series. Yeah. Which there wasn't in the first several issues, which is why it got good afterwards, because it went bonkers. Yeah, like that first issue was just real flat, trying to take trying to take like, you know, classic Hulk and turn it into horror imagery without really doing what needed to be done to make that happen. Yeah. And as part of that, uh, I think the issue where it started to get good, they not they didn't switch artists, but they got another artist working with them. What I basically think what happens is it's because the art style doesn't change that much, but I feel like the second artist basically looks at the art that the second guy says, you know, I can make this scarier, and he's like, oh, really, how's that? He changes the color. Oh, that is better. It's like, oh, bitch. <laughs> That's terrifying. I pooped myself. And by this, by seeing actual horror imagery, Alan Bendon is suddenly inspired to actually draw actually horrific imagery because after the Hulk escapes... Uh, the people who had him in custody basically railroad uh, Carl Crusher Creel, the absorbing man, into fighting him after giving him a booster, which basically allows his whole body to assimilate gamma energy just by touching something that emits it. (laughs) Oh, he's fucked. Yeah, well, particularly in this case, because... Part of the reason, uh, a, a running subplot that I didn't think was going anywhere because it sounded stupid when and the previous tone of the story is uh, when the Hulk fought. Uh, what's the what's the Alpha Flight character Sasquatch? Yeah. Uh, when he fought Sasquatch and absorbed some of the gamma energy that his body had was generating, uh, he was like, there was something. It felt like something else got into me besides just. Gamma energy when I absorb the shit from Grunt uh, Lankowski, I think is his name. The guy who put is uh, becomes Sasquatch. Uh, and, and throughout this, he's having he keeps seeing the image of Bruce Banner's abusive father cackling at him in various reflective surfaces, yeah. and it seems to be leading him back to Los Diablos, the site where they detonated the first gamma bomb. 
Okay. At which point, uh, Absorbing Man shows up and the fight ensues. And he does manage to absorb a lot of the Hulk's gamma energy. But, of course, he absorbs too much and he becomes susceptible to gamma Satan. Naturally. Which leads to an image that I had shown Dead Man previously of... It looks like the Absorbing Man split in half and his skull became a weapon that was attacking independently of the rest of his body. Yeah. Which is kind of horrifying. (laughs) (sighs) And after a brief kerfuffle between the Absorbing Man and the Hulk, where uh, the branch of Alpha Flight Carol is put together specifically to figure out what's going on with the Hulk... And the people that were trying to capture him try to interfere to stop the Hulk for their own various purposes. Uh, the Gamma Satan manipulates uh, Creel into opening up the what it was called literally the green door by absorbing the rest of the Gamma energy from the side around them and pulling open the door into Gamma Hell. So at the end of Volume 2, I haven't read Volume 3 yet because I'm collecting these in trades. I'm, well, not the first one, but... Yeah, naturally. <laughs> Yeah, just just the, for, the, just the for last fun. thing the the last thing the Hulk says is "Welcome to hell." <laughs> nice. So funny thing, I just tried to Google search uh, Marvel Gamma Satan, see if I could find anything else about that. Um, and that led me to the page of Bruce Banner's dad, who once had a Hulk transformation called the Devil Hulk. Huh. Yeah, during an event called the Chaos War. Okay, I didn't read Chaos War, so I don't remember that. I never even heard of Chaos War until now. I remember it, but it was one of those um it was one of those comics that came out sort of in between uh Civil War and Dark Reign. Okay. And aside from uh Secret Invasion, I don't care about a lot of those events because they just started to blur together. Yeah, that's fair. Marvel's been having the whole, like, Marvel's been having the event problems for a while. Anyway. Anything else for the Hulk? Uh, no, I mean, well, like you said, uh, like you said with the art for, um, Naomi, I'm, I'm shocked how much better, how much better just sort of Aside from, like, some much more creativity with, like, the horrific imagery. And I also showed Dead Man some images of what's to come with Gamma Satan now that the Hulk is in hell. Which I'm kind of looking forward to once that volume comes out. Yeah. But, um... It's amazing how just changing the color palette, not even significantly, just slightly, greatly improves the intended tone and effect of the story. Uh Uh-huh. Because, like, if, if... Based on the images I've shown you... Aside from, like, the stuff with Crusher Creel, it doesn't look drastically different from the early issues, but it looks just different enough to get the desired effect. And I I kind of appreciate that. So I will... I will follow it now that it's past this... For the first awkward title. I was going to say... 
to, to, to Nico, maybe I should listen to your advice and read uh, that Donny Cates Venom series. But then I saw that they're bringing Anne Wang back, and I was like, oh, dear God, no. <laughs> <laughs> like, like you remember those those yeah. two really yeah. terrible short <laughs> stories with Dan Wang and Venom in it that we talked about and how we were both like, wow, this is stupid. Who would ever go back to this? Well, apparently Donny Cates really likes those stories. Oh, uh, Donny Cates. You weird fucking man, you. I mm, Donny Cates is a fucking weird writer, man. He's not a bad writer. He's not a bad one. He's just a weird one. Yeah. His weird tastes. Yeah. Like, not once in my fucking life did I ever think I'd hear the words that did I ever think I'd hear the words Donny Cates is bringing back Ann Ewing. I'm like, wait, what? Anyone is bringing her back? Why? Well, I mean, I guess I was not surprised that they might try to bring her back since that, unfortunately, that stupid Venom movie made a lot of money and she was in it. Ugh. <laughs> Fucking goddammit. Goddamn Sony. But yeah, uh, as long as you are completely, as long as you are willing to skip uh, the the first six issues, the first trade... I can now recommend Al Ewing's Immortal Hulk book. If for nothing else, as I told Dead Man when I first talked about it, he said, is this any good now? I said, it's at least something I haven't seen before. <laughs> yeah, and in comics, dig what you can get, dude. Yep. So yeah, uh, I, I just wanted to get that off my chest. All right, then. Moving on to my second book. Um, kind of speaking of something I haven't seen yet in comics. Uh, let's talk about Die. <laughs> So Die is a new okay. book from Kieran Gillen. Uh, he was a, for those that know, he was um, Young Avengers and uh, fucking, what is it? Um, Wicked and the Divine? Right, yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, I knew you were talking about the Image series. I just couldn't remember what. Yeah, so in this new book, it is a, it's a series centered around D&D. But, like, not real D&D. So, they set up 1991. Uh, two kids, uh, brother and sister, go over to a friend of the brother's for his birthday. Usually what it'll do is, like, on one of their birthdays, um, like, like they, they share a birthday. And so they would, so they would, like, have, you know, parties or whatever. And one of the things, that, and so for their 16th birthday, um... The friend, his name's Solomon, he said, hey, I have an idea. Let me run a game for you guys. And so then it and so then they all got together. Um, main guy named Dominic, his sister, a bunch of their friends, and then Solomon. They all get together and decide, yeah, we're gonna we're gonna play a game. But it's none of the traditional games. It is some new game that he's made of that it's some new game he's heard of that's fucking awesome and shit, and his dice are fucking magic for days, dog. And the biggest difference between this game and other games is that the game is played with one set of dice, and depending on the character you make, you get one of these dice. Uh, and so, yeah, so they, they get in, they get in to play it. Um, they the characters they make are like a like a sorceress kind of thing, um, a 
a like like Elder's Night kind of thing, some cyberpunk lady. Uh like a like a person who like controls gods or whatever. Just fucking whatever kind of fighter bullshit. And then he gets the D20 as the game master. Cut to two years later. The kids have been missing for those two years. And they all, all, all of a sudden appear on the road just in the middle of fucking nowhere. Uh, and one of the kids and Solomon didn't come back with them. For whatever reason, yeah, for whatever reason, these kids came, these five kids came back. Solomon did not. And none of them are saying, none of them are, are willing to say what actually happened. Every time anybody asks them, they just say, I can't say. Flash forward to 25 years later. Um, Solomon's mom is constantly harassing uh, Dominic and his sister. All kinds of horrible shit has, all kinds of weird shit has gone out of their lives. They have been dealing with PTSD. All kinds of horrible shit. And then one day they get a fucking package at a bar. They open it up and it is the D20. So he, deci- so he decides, all right, let's call the group. Let's get the band back together. Let's see what the fuck is up. They all get together and the D20 pulls them into itself where it turns out what happened 25 years ago was when they started playing the game, they got sucked into the game. They got sucked into the world of the game where they actually became their characters. And in the course of that game, something went wrong and they had to end up leaving Solomon behind and in doing so, Dominic, who was playing a female character, so he spent two years as a woman. Okay. Yeah, uh, he cast a spell on them that made it that made it impossible for anybody to actually talk about what happened. Get get to the end of the book, and it turns out that all of this has been set in motion by Solomon, who killed the previous villain, took his dice, and used them and pushed them to replace his eyes. So now his eyes are just two d twenties. Weeb. <laughs> yeah, I I don't know if anyone out there can tell. I really like tabletop role-playing games. No, I do too. In um, fact, one of the reasons that I am kind of trying to rush this a little bit is because literally outside my room, people are playing D&D right now. Okay. And you might be able to hear them throughout this. And I really want to get a chance to play with them before uh, things, before one of them has to leave. So, no, I mean, they're not trying to, like, fucking put a timer on you, Birdie, or anything. It's just, that is what's happening. Okay. I mean, I'm apparently trying to learn how to play Shadowrun. It's not easy. It is not. I tried that a little while ago with Caveman. Before, like, I tried using Chummer. It did not work for me, so I'm just fucking using the book, trying to learn how to do it with paper. Uh, But anyway, yeah, uh, so... This is, this is, just seems to be there's the setup of what is happening. It is, it is these people, these adults now, um, back in this fantasy world, playing the characters they played fucking 25 years ago and trying to, trying to like either save their friend or stop him from whatever nefarious plan he's doing and try to get back to where they were, try to get back to their actual lives. Because this world fucked them up something hard. Okay. And I am, I really like this. Like, I like Kieran Gillen as a writer. He, uh, like, all of it is told from, like, Dominic's point of view, so we get his internal monologue the entire time. And Dominic is kind of a bit, is kind of a dick. Like, he, 
like my characters, they will. One of the characters, uh, she was a. She was kind of a bitch in the old group, and coming into and like when they met up again, like fucking twenty five years later, she was like, "Hey, I'm sorry about how I treated you. I'm sorry about everything. I hope we can just like put it behind us and move forward as friends." And in his head, he just like, "I really fucking hope she means that." But fifteen minutes later, oh fuck you. A little bit, because as soon as they get stuck back into the game, uh, she is just like, oh, another one of your fucking plans. Isn't that great? Your plans are the reason we're in this fucking shit to begin with. <coughs> Sorry. I mentioned I have a post-viral cough. But yeah, so it is It is this like high fantasy world with all these like different kind of discordant characters, all with horrible amounts of trauma involved in this world, with the exception of one guy who... Kinda took the trauma and spun it into a writing career, which you can do. Yeah. Uh, so he, yes, he like have. writes like massive fantasy stories and stuff. And when they actually end up porting back into the magic into the game world with their characters and stuff, he is the chillest about it. Like when, when we see them, when like everyone like lands first, uh, we all see them and they have this like look of horror on their face of like, oh god, we're back in. He just like, yeah, this is cool. <clears throat> So interesting to see when he eventually breaks. Or if when he breaks, it'll just be more psychotic than otherwise, because it might end up like, I don't like this anime, but Gako Garashi, uh, School Live, the one where it, yeah. it, it it's it's a happy Boe high school story about the zombie apocalypse. <laughs> yep. Yeah, I remember that one. Uh, not, yeah. I don't really like it, but I like the premise. Yeah, and uh, the artwork, uh, the art's done by uh, Stephanie Hans, who, from the look of it, also did the uh, coloring. Uh, it's all done in a very painted style. Like, you see a lot of, like, a lot of, like, the shading and stuff is done with just, like, brush strokes over top of brush strokes. So you're able to see, like, the actual layers of coloring that she used on it. Uh, character design-wise, it is interesting. They look a lot like, they look a lot like uh, really well-designed people's first D&D characters. Okay. Like like our main guy, um, Dominic, when we see his character design, it is like a woman in long flowing black robes, like a deep cut V neck to show off the chest with like this with like this fucking like raven wing scar emblazoned on her chest with a massive collar. So so not 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 something either of our Jameses would have designed. Oh no. <laughs> yeah, and uh, it looks neat. Uh, when, we, when we see the world, we see like a very we see, like, from what we've seen so far, we, it is a very small vertical slice of this world, uh, but it looks really good, very red, and, like, very, very red, uh, like, everything is, pretty much everything is red, like, like the accents on a lot of people's costumes are bright red, the red uh, plays a lot into almost every character's design and, like, the world itself, a lot of backgrounds are red, it, red's a big motif, color motif for this fucking world, and it is really cool, I like the... I like the painted look of all the characters. Um, they are all very distinct and interesting to look at. The dungeon master, it is it's kind of a standard dungeon master look of a guy in a hood. But the added benefit of glowing D twenties for eyes covered in bloody bandages is a neat visual. Yeah, sounds like it. Yeah, and I'm looking forward to seeing where this goes. Um they have they've kind of like talked a bit well, not talked, like hinted at a bit that there's a bit of like gender dysphoria happening with uh with Dominic as Ash, because again, being a guy, spending two years as a woman, that can have effects. Yeah, you, I mean, it, 
I know, I don't, I know. Nature versus nurture is a debate, but the reason it's a debate is because your biology does affect how you think. Yeah, <laughs> just not to the extent that some people would like you to think. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and so seeing how that develops, seeing where that goes, I'm interested to see all that. I'm interested to see that. I'm interested to see all the other characters work and like their different abilities that they came up with. How the how the actual individual dice play into their characters and how the mechanics of this world work. And I want to see where this goes. This I, I'm I'm always a sucker for fucking stories that try to tell a unique story involving RPG mechanics. And Fair while, and while this isn't one of the and while this isn't one of the most original ones, it's at least it's at least a take that I at least it's a take using elements I've seen before in a way that I haven't seen yet. Okay. Yeah. So. Die. Um, I believe four issues are out at time of recording. I've only read the first because, again, I am very much behind. But I'm working on it. I will get caught up. And should I feel the need to talk about anything else with this, I will try to talk about this with you guys. Sorry. Go. Well, then, Birdie. Okay. So this is the one Dead Man requested I talk about. And actually, I've been kind of looking for a reason to talk about it anyway. Uh, Batman, the Brave and the Bold. Batman and Wonder Woman, the Brave and the Bold. So this was a six-issue miniseries from last year. uh, Written, uh, I think, by the artist of the uh, Tom King uh, Batman series, Liam Sharp. I think. I will double-check. And the basic... yeah, so the the premise is essentially initially Batman and Wonder Woman are approached by by elements of Irish folklore from different angles. Like at first Bruce is trying to figure out why everyone in Gotham is just standing around sleeping where they stand. He's not clear why that happens or why it it affects him until he gets out of the Irish corner. <laughs> fiddly potatoes. Ireland. And then what? And Wonder Woman is uh, fucking Steve Trevor when an Irish god just pops in and says, "Pardon me, my lady." Hey, stop writing his dick there, William. We got some right fucking weird shit going on here, Wonder Woman. Yeah. Hey, Blarney Stone. So, as the spirit of truth, I'm sorry, Irish people. <laughs> So as the spirit of truth, uh, this god, I, sir, I, I will not attempt to pronounce the Irish names of these gods. I will fail. That is fair. <laughs> uh, requests Wonder Woman to help solve uh, the murder of one of the kings of, I'll, I'll attempt, Tir Nanog, I think. It, the, the realm of uh, the, fae, the fae folk, essentially, from Irish folklore. Yeah. Uh, and eventually once Wonder Woman deduces that, uh, essentially this situation might lead to a war amongst the fey folk between each other, which will just cause lots of unnecessary loss of life. She says, yeah, I need an actual detective. So, so I, so she, so she called the flash, but he was busy. Yeah. (laughs) At which point, uh, Bruce is trying to figure out why he 
doesn't remember anything that happened while he was in the Irish Quarter, at which point Wonder Woman pops out of the ceiling of his bat cave with the said Irish god who popped in on her when she was having sex. At which point, the beginning of the next issue after Bruce... I, I must... Uh, we never see him accept, but we know he does accept because he then wakes up. We then wakes up naked in Tirnanog in a bath. And he's like, "How the fuck did I get here?" <laughs> yeah. Hey, why'd you take all my back clothes off? I bathe in those. <laughs> Same time when I'm going to do laundry. Yeah, and the rest of it is just internal politicking and Bruce being annoyed that he once again has to apply logic to magic. <laughs> Oh man, I'm kind of kind of bummed I didn't miss this miss out on this. Like I hadn't actually heard of this. Okay, but like I, it's fucking it's fucking Batman and Wonder Woman trying to solve God murders, and it's also just yep. a book released in the last couple of years that have Batman and Wonder Woman in the fucking title. Like those are char- yeah. those are characters that. Despite them working incredibly well together, you don't see paired up a whole lot lately. No, no, because, uh, well, I feel like uh, the DC Universe is hyper aware of how well Batman and Wonder Woman worked together in the early 2000s when Bruce Timm mined it for romance and drama in the Justice League Unlimited and they're trying their best to say, look, we're not that universe anymore. Yeah. Okay? We're not doing That's... that. She's going to fuck Superman. Fuck you. Oh, or she'll fuck now. anyone but Batman. She'll fuck women. She might fuck Giganta at this point. I'm not sure. <laughs> yeah, I mean, probably. <laughs> but she'd need a wetsuit. But uh... <laughs> I'm actually trying to now actually work out the logistics of that. <laughs> Would it be just like she goes like kind of halfway in? And then just kind of hangs out on the outside, just like, hey, what's up? Yeah, would 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 fingering Gigantic be like a stretching exercise, or like? Again, I'm thinking it's like something you need to like get in there and then kind of use your feet on the inside while you're just kind of hanging on the outside a bit. Yeah, I don't know. We we should stop talking about this. Yeah. So anyway, uh, weird shit happens. Like there's a, like when Bruce first starts trying to investigate. Uh, he goes off on this kind of randomly charming story about an Irish school marm he had when he was a child who taught him the stories of the Fae. And at which point Diana asks, why are we standing next to a stream? It's like, because I need to find a certain rock. And she's like, why? It's like, because if I can look through the rock, I can see fairies who are invisible. Which I already knew they were there, I just couldn't see them. <laughs> I knew they were there watching me. The better at stealth than I am, god damn it. I must I must investigate them and figure out the ways of their yeah. fairy magic. Although I I will admit I don't know how to pronounce "idget" in Irish. <laughs> yeah, "idget" maybe I don't know because <laughs> like there's like when these three uh, fey troll looking things are uh, and are saying, "Oh, I think he could see us, sir." I think he says he found a blarney stone, boy. Of course he could see us. Yeah, "idget." <laughs> if this was real Irish, I feel like they I feel like you might call him just a daft cunt. I don't know. Uh, so just, just based on based on my extensive history of stereotyping Irish people, they're more of a they're more of a adjective or like a descriptor of a cunt kind of 
kind of culture and less an idiot and less an idiot culture. Yeah. All right. So as the story goes on, we sort of get into some Neil Gaiman territory where the idea that uh, the gods of Irish folklore have mostly closed themselves off in their own dimension. And because of that, uh, their magic is slowly dying because they no longer have the uh, prayers and beliefs of the of the human world. And this is illustrated by a giant wall of stone that seems to go higher than anyone can see around the entirety of the the entirety of the dimension of Tiernanog. That's what's behind the source wall. Irish people. <laughs> but no, so actually, you want me to spoil? Do you want me to spoil it, or do you want you want to read this? I actually want to read this, but uh, just for the sound of it, it sounds kind of um, wayward. Uh, yeah, okay, I, I haven't read enough of Wayward to fully get what you're referencing, but I know the tone that yeah. comic so, goes for. So, Wayward, um, one of the things, that, one of the things that, like, the main character, Rory, ends up doing is actually bringing back Irish face spirits to the physical world. Okay. Because she is, because while serving Al as someone who, like, fucking can, manuf- can, like, you know, manipulate the weave, she can also, she's also the bridge between Irish magic and the real world. Because her dad's okay. a druid. Probably a better druid than James. Oh, totally. Either of our Jameses. <laughs> I don't know if your James has ever played a druid. He's playing one right but, now. Okay. But the last time our James played a druid, uh, his approach to everything was just turn into a bear. James's approach is summoning bears. <laughs> but it actually but it actually started out a lot worse. Because you, you used to start out summoning eight summoning um eight thousand rats. Because I let the conjure animal spell uh, be able to conjure a swarm of rats, and he could summon eight of them. Okay. And a swarm was about a thousand rats, so he was summoning eight thousand rats and having to control all of them on his turn. The fun thing, though, is constantly updating Caveman's character, and then him realizing that the abilities he took are meaningless. <laughs> Right, I got this but, fucking yeah. sick crossbow, but my swords do. Fuck, goddamn it! Yeah. But yeah, uh, I mean, say what you will about Tom King's run on Batman, uh, the art on it is consistently really awesome. So that oh, yeah. stays the same. And Liam Sharp, I think, because he's in charge of this book and the writing process, he he gets a lot more creativity to do really weird shit with it. With both with the fact that he's talking about Irish folklore and that he's in a dimension where. Literally, Batman says, this looks sad. (laughs) (laughs) And I don't mean like like it's kind of cheap or crappy look. I mean, it's like, I look at this and I see sadness. Yeah, just a horse sinking into a swamp. Anyway. But yeah, uh, this was one of my favorite books from last year. I just never got around to talking about it. Oh, nice. Yeah, that, I'm, gonna, I'm definitely gonna check this out. I and uh, and I will say this: it's a six issue contained miniseries, but there are suggestions that they might continue it somewhere down the line if DC lets him. Oh, nice! They won't, but fuck, still, <laughs> at least it's self-contained within this story. Yeah, totally. He he knows how to. He, Liam Sharp appears to know how to write a story, which is write a fucking story, and then if and then if fucking things are good enough, then make a sequel to it. 
not yeah. write a story expecting a sequel and have it crash and burn. <laughs> DC. But yeah. <laughs> Uh, but I, I really recommend the book. I'm kind of sad I never, I didn't get a chance to talk about it with Nico because I think he would have liked this too. But uh, eh, maybe if he, maybe if he comes back for like the next episode, next installment of the Good, the Bad, and the Fuck. Yeah, but I, I really recommend this. I, I'm, I'll be curious what you think of it. As will I. But we'll save that for next time because that's gonna do it for this week, everybody. Thank y'all for joining us. <laughs> Debbie has to run to the D&D. Also to piss. He has to get his die. <laughs> yeah. I'm playing a bugbear monk. Anyway, we'll be back in two weeks time with episode of the DestroProds.com podcast. Hopefully anyway. Assuming we don't die. That's a, that's a, that's a loose assumption. Yeah. But anyway, in between now and then though, we're going to have our fucking regular bullshit. Titans. We, we've finished watching Titans. And we're just getting through uh, editing and uploading that. Uh, we should be having episodes uh, seven and eight going up soon. Uh, and then not long after that, episodes nine, ten, and eleven, wrapping up the first season. Except the episode they did want to show us. <laughs> yep, yeah, that one. Except for that one. Uh, and then yeah, and then we'll be moving on to something else, baby. Who knows? Anyway, until then, though, I'm dead. A birdie. We will see you guys next time. Such a bird signing off.